0: is that she was ordinary. She was an ordinary person. and Certainly she was godly. Certain she, certainly she was a follower of the Lord. She was obedient and faithful. But she was ordinary. Let's start our study. In Luke one 26 through 26-27, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, Gabriel was the chief messenger of the angels whenever an important message was to be delivered gabriel did it and gabriel went to nazareth because that's where joseph and mary lived to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named joseph a descendant of david a couple things we need to realize about mary she was very young there there was no really adoles- adolescence or teenage years back then. You went from being a child to being an adult. People typically got married from 12 to 15 years old. There are also arranged marriages. The parents chose who their children would marry. I don't know about you, but I think arranged marriages are a great idea i got three boys, 15 to 20, and uh, I'm thinking about that for them, no doubt. I'm going to put a page on Facebook and see how many fans I get of arranged marriage. In fact, we have a couple that attend Springbrook here, John and Carnegie, who are from India. They grew up there and moved here to the States, and they had an arranged marriage. They knew of each other, and they spent some time together before they were married, but not much time. It's a fascinating story. And they're a very godly couple. And they really have a love for one another. So, hey, <laughs> it works. No doubt. So it was an arranged marriage. Also, you need to understand how engagements worked back in that day. It wasn't like today. You get engaged and you can break an engagement. But once you became engaged, you became betrothed back in that day, it was a legal binding contract. So, therefore... Once you are engaged, you were married, but you lived apart for a year. To prove your faithfulness to one another and to prepare for your marriage, what the man would do is that he would add an extra room onto his father's house. I don't know if I'm crazy about that idea, but uh, they lived it as an extended family. So that was a year of preparation. and It was in that year of preparation that Mary got this news from Gabriel. That she was going to have a child, a very special child. Now what do we know about Mary? Well, the Virgin's name was Mary, period. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, isn't it? We don't get a lot of information about Mary here or really any place else. We knew that she was a peasant, they were poor. Joseph was a carpenter, but there's not that much about Mary. So the question is why did God choose Mary? There were other godly young women who could have bore the Messiah. But He chose Mary. And we don't know why He chose Mary, but He did. Mary was just an ordinary girl. Certainly a godly woman, but God chose her. And God chooses people to do certain things, and sometimes we never know why. But that's how it is. And Mary was surprised as anybody. We look... In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It's nothing about who Mary is. It's that God has chosen you. God has looked down upon you, and he's with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. First of all, she's surprised an angel shows up, and then she says, What does God want with me? What can I do with for God. I'm just an ordinary girl. We see it again in the next passage. Luke 1.46 Mary's Magnificat, her song to God of worship. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's filled with worship because she's been chosen. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. She said, I'm just a humble girl. And for some reason He's chosen me and my heart bursts with joy because of that. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, she's not bragging here. She's just stating the fact that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. So she knows that everyone will look back on her and say, wow, what a wonderful experience being the mother of the Messiah. How blessed she was by God. But she was ordinary. I feel ordinary. How about you? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking this past week about people who graduate from high school and college and they start out in life with all kind of dream all kinds of dreams and ambitions and what their life is going to be like and how their life is going to be different from other people that they've known. They're not going to make the same mistakes. Not going to have maybe the same experiences. But for those of us who are a little older, uh, we know that life can be pretty challenging, right? Life doesn't turn out typically the way you want it (laughs) to turn out. Life beats you up. Life is incredibly disappointing in so many ways. And after you've lived so many years, you realize you're not as special as you thought you were. Now, you're just an ordinary person moving through life. And this can create delusionment among many people because other people have told them, the media has told them if they pursue certain things, if they pursue fame, if they pursue, pursue power, if they pursue accumulating all kinds of stuff, that that's going to be fulfilling in life and they find that it's all lies because they don't feel fulfilled. They're just ordinary people who are struggling along. But friends, the only thing that changes an ordinary person into an extraordinary person is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now some of you say, hey, well, I've tried that too. I've done the Jesus thing. I was baptized as an infant. I was confirmed. I went to church when I was a younger person. And I know I haven't been real consistent lately, but I've been a good person. I've tried to be the kind of person that God would want me to be and I believe in God and all that kind of stuff and it's not doing anything for me. Well, I would ask you to question your relationship with God. Because what the Word of God says about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is that it's a daily relationship. It's a relationship that You depend upon Him, that you know Him, that you're always learning more about Him, that you go into each day and say, Lord, help me through this day. And you receive encouragement and comfort and love and you read His Word and and you're guided. And you're challenged. And your life becomes all about Him, all about serving Him, all about knowing Him. That's what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ and maybe that's what you don't have. You have religion per se, but you don't have a relationship. And God wants a relationship with you more than anything else. We read in Romans, or excuse me Revelation chapter 3:20. Here I am. Jesus Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And He with me. Is that the kind of relationship you have with Jesus? It's like sitting down for a meal with a good friend. That's the kind of relationship that I have. That's a relationship that many people have. Maybe you don't. But God loves you so much, and He wants that relationship with you, where you're interacting with Him on a daily basis, where you're depending upon Him, where He's a focus. Of your life. We're all ordinary people. But God can make make us extraordinary. When we invite Him. Into our lives. Let's take a moment to reflect. Upon that.
1: Still we see in night Above Thy deep and dreamless sleep The silent stars go by Yeah Of wandering love, oh, morning stars, together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men. to men now. come to us abide in us our lord you made you our
0: the first word to describe Mary was ordinary. The second word I thought of was faithful. It's faithful. We look at our passage. Now the angel had come and said, Mary you're going to bear a baby and you are going to be the mother of the Messiah and you're going to do it with being a virgin. Mary only had one question which I understand. (laughs) okay how can I have a baby if I'm a virgin that makes sense right Uh, so the angel answered that question and said the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the only one to be born will be called the Son of God the Holy Spirit put the child within Mary it was the virgin birth such a foundational truth in our beliefs, it goes on to say about Elizabeth, her cousin, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Now, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist, and she was barren. No chance she was going to have children, and all of a sudden, God did a miracle, and she became pregnant with John the Baptist in her old age. Now, God loves to do miracles, doesn't He? We read in verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Isn't that encouraging? Nothing is impossible with God. God specializes in miracles. You need a miracle this season? Well, God might not give you the miracle you want, but He'll give you the miracle you need they will meet your deepest needs if you'll allow them to. Now notice what Mary says. After all this information, she only had that one question. <laughs> she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were Mary, I'd have a whole bunch of questions. I'd say, now, Gabriel, why don't we sit down here? Give me some time to think this through. I want to write some questions out. Uh, I mean, this is really big news. This kind of changes my whole life. And I'd like a little more information before you leave. Wouldn't you do that, huh? Kind of like, what's going on here? How am I going to handle this? Mary doesn't do that, right? She just says, okay. I'm a Lord's servant. I do what He says. May it be, as you have said, I accept it. If God said, I should do it, I am going to do it. Now, we might look at that and say, well, of course, who wouldn't want to be the mother of the Messiah? But you don't realize the great risk that she was taking in doing this. A tremendous risk. Now, just imagine you're in this year period of betrothal. And you become pregnant. So, what do you say to Joseph. What do you tell Joseph? Well, Joseph, this angel appeared to me and uh, said that I was going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay. (laughs) Is that going to make a lot of sense? In fact, Joseph heard about it, and he was going to divorce her because he thought that she had been unfaithful. But then an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him what was going on, and of course he fully embraced her and took her. As his wife. Can you imagine telling your parents that? They probably would say, can't you come up with a better excuse than that? I mean, come on, that's pretty original, but that just doesn't fly. The Holy Spirit? Who, who really was it? Come on, tell me, who really was it? And the questions and the gossip flurried for years. Because you've got to realize that this child was viewed as illegitimate. It was Joseph's child, it was before they were wedded, it was out of wedlock, it was somebody else's child, that's another deal. So throughout Mary's life, people looked at her in shame because they certainly didn't believe her story. And Jesus Christ was rejected by the people. So she carried a very heavy burden along with Joseph. Nobody believed their story and of course we know that mary saw her son die that was a tremendous pain in her life she could have said i want more details i want more promises i want more guarantees here before i agree to this but she said you know what i'm just going to put my faith in god i'm going to trust that God is going to provide for me, that He's going to work everything out day by day. I don't know what it's going to look like, but God's going to take care of me. And friends, that's the best way to live because life is uncertain in so many different ways. I know that so many of you are just waiting for January 1, 2011. You cannot <laughs> wait any longer. This has been a year that you want to forget. It's been a very difficult year. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've been out of work for over a year. How difficult is that? Maybe your job has gone sour for some reason. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship. Maybe your marriage is dead. Maybe a crisis has come in your marriage in the past year. Maybe a relationship with a teenage child or an adult child has exploded. Or a physical challenge that came out of nowhere. Or an emotional challenge. Of course, there's all kinds of things that can make life very difficult and very disappointing. But the beautiful thing about it is that when you have that personal, daily, intimate relationship with God, is you can bring all these things to Him. Now certainly you can tell your friends, and that's why it's so wonderful to have friends. You can tell them what you're going through, and they can encourage you and counsel you. But there's one thing you can only do with God, and we see it in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. We all have anxiety in our life. We all have questions We all wonder, what's coming up next? Well, friends, you can't cast your anxiety on your friends because they're not sovereign. They don't control everything. They're not all-powerful and all-knowing. But you can cast your anxieties upon God because He is God. He loves you. He's in control of everything. He has all the resources you'll ever need to face any challenge that comes your way. It doesn't mean He's going to remove the problem in your life. But it does mean that He's going to help you to cope. He's going to help you to thrive by learning and growing through the challenges that you face. And how encouraging is that? I know that as a Christ follower, as I look at twenty eleven, no matter what comes my way, Jesus Jesus is going to be right beside me. And no matter how painful it might be, he's going to carry me through. He's going to give me the emotional, spiritual, and physical strength to cope and to thrive. I would encourage you tonight with whatever you're struggling with, whatever burden you have, to cast it upon the Lord because He loves you so much and He wants to help you. Put your faith in Him. Be like Mary. Be faithful. Reflect upon that truth.
1: You must have some faith, or you wouldn't be here tonight. So, we're going to ask all you faithful to stand up and sing a song.
0: she was faithful. And finally, Mary was a sinner. And you might say, wait a second, that's all my church taught me? Well, she says it herself, if you look in Luke 147, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, if Mary wasn't a sinner, why would she need a Savior? We talked about this last week that Jesus Christ is a Savior. Jesus means the one who saves. And Mary needed saving, just like the rest of us. Let me give you a snapshot of the human condition. We're all born sinners. We're born that way. We have a sinful nature. We just have a natural tendency to want to do our own thing, to go our own way, not to follow God. And God's very clear about the fact that He's holy and He can't have a relationship with sinners. In fact, He says the punishment for sin is eternal separation from Him. Of course, God didn't want that. So that's why He sent Jesus Christ into this world. That's why we're celebrating this evening that Jesus Christ came into this world to save Sinners. That Jesus Christ, who was fully God, yet at the same time fully man, we can't comprehend that. But it was essential that he was fully God and fully man because he needed to be fully God to live a perfect life and he needed to be fully man to be our representative. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled every command found in the Old Testament, never had a sinful thought. He was tempted, but he was perfect. Because he was God. And because of that, he was the one person that ever lived that wasn't a sinner. He was the one person who ever lived who didn't stand under eternal judgment. And because of that reason, he was able to die for us. He was able to be our substitute. He was able to endure the punishment that we deserved. As he hung on that cross... All of our sins were put upon him, the sinless one who was our representative. And he died on our behalf. And in God's justice system, that satisfied what God needed. Because God is holy, He just can't say, ah, what's the big deal? We'll just forget it. But He can't forget about sin, He can't forget about things that are done wrong, they have to be settled. And Jesus Christ settled it on the cross. He paid the penalty. He served the time, one might say, for you and for me. Look at this next passage. This is a passage at the cross. When Mary was there with John, the closest disciple to Jesus Christ, and Christ is on the cross and He's he's talking to them. So when Jesus saw his mother Mary there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her in to his home. So Jesus Christ was saying, John, my beloved friend, take care of my mother. Treat her as you would your own. Mother. And I, I try to imagine what it must have been for Mary. When you think about a mother losing their child, and some of you have gone through that, I think that's probably the deepest pain that anyone can go through, especially for the mother. But not only to lose your child, but to actually watch your child being crucified in the most barbaric way ever created in man to execute someone. Think about what Mary went through. The the sword that pierced her heart. The most painful time in her life. Now, think several years later, after she had accepted this free gift of salvation from God that her son provided. Because you see, when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, He was not only dying for the sins of you and I, He was dying for the sins of His mother, who also was a sinner. He was providing a way for her to have a relationship with God. So, as she thought back to the cross, it was the most painful moment in her life, but at the same time, it brought the greatest joy. Because it brought her to God. In 1 Peter 3.18, it sums it all up. For Christ died for sins once for all. One time He died. That's all that was needed. He paid the price. He did the time. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous man and God, for you and I, the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring peace in your relationship with God. Isn't that wonderful? That's what we celebrate tonight. It's all packaged together, Christmas and Easter, (laughs) Good Friday. It's all about what Jesus Christ did to bring us to God. Now, again, we need to choose to come to God, right? It's not applied to everybody, and everybody's automatically a Christ follower. No, you have a choice. God gave you a choice whether you were going to accept this free gift that He provided for on the cross, provided for you on the cross, And some of you said, well, I've done that. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've done that a lot. But think about this question. If I asked you, why do you think you're going to heaven? How would you answer that question? Why do you think you're going to heaven? And most people, when I ask that question, say, well, you know, I've been a pretty good person. You know, haven't committed any of the big sins. I think I've been to church enough, I've logged enough hours there, and I can tell you a lot of people that are a lot worse than I am. (laughs) Believe me, okay? Well, if you respond in any way to that question, that tells me that you're depending on yourself to get to heaven. You're depending on your good works. Now you say, yeah, well, I've accepted Christ, but you're still depending on yourself and your good works. You want to earn it. You want to say, hey, I'm good enough. I'm better than other people. Therefore, I deserve heaven. Well, one of the most powerful verses that speaks to this is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For it is by grace. Grace is not something that you deserve. Grace is something God gives you. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It takes a step of faith to become a Christ follower. You can't have all your questions answered. Some people, you know, they won't become a Christ follower until Jesus Christ appears in the flesh and He answers all their questions that they have. Then they'll become a Christ follower. Well, that's not faith, friends. You've got to take a leap of faith. There are some questions that are not going to be answered. But you have to have enough of a faith in the Word of God Enough of confidence in God that He will save you if you put your faith in Him. That's what God wants. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. I can't stand up here and say, well, you know, I am a child of God because I'm just so good. That's boasting, isn't it? I can't earn my gift of salvation. You guys are going to be going, hope, going home to open some gifts maybe tonight and tomorrow and I shouldn't have said that because now you're gonna start thinking about it but you're gonna go home and you're gonna open up maybe one particular gift is is the one gift that you have been waiting for you've been praying for you've been begging for you've been leaving hints all over the place and you've got it and so you look at that family member who gave it to you and said thank you thank you so much now, what can I do for you to earn this gift? You want me to shovel the walk for the month of January? You want me to wash the dishes for two weeks? You want me to give up the remote control of the TV? I mean, what do you want from me? What do I have to do to earn this gift? And they'll look back at you and they'll say, What are you talking about? It's a gift. It's free. You don't have to. No, 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 no. no. It can't be free. I've, I've got to earn it. You see, you just can't give me something free. You know, no, There's no free gifts in life, right? You see, what gets between so many people and God is their pride. They just don't want to receive a free gift. No, no. I'm too good for that. God, You show me what to do, I'll do it, and then we'll have a great relationship. Well, friend, that could be your problem tonight. As you've been saying, hey, what do I do? Because I'm just not... Humbling myself and saying I've got nothing to put into this deal well friends if you're going to become a Christ follower That's exactly what you need to do you need to humble yourself You see I am a sinner and I could do nothing to merit God's favor And some of you will refuse to do that and you refused to do that for years and years now And I tell you what that is dangerous because you're going to end up In a place you don't want to be Don't let your pride keep you from God. You know who you are. Think about it. If you say, I've accepted Christ, but I'm dependent on my good works, hey, I I don't think you have a relationship with God. Because that's not what God says. He says, you need to come to me and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to impress you. And I just need you. And that's the hardest thing for some of you to say. I need somebody else. I, I need somebody else. I need someone to save me. But that's what you've got to say in order to know that you have a relationship with God, an eternity with God. Don't let your pride keep you from God. Give it up. Face the truth. You're a sinner and you need a Savior. I want you to bow your heads at this time. And for those of you who've been holding on to your pride, I want you to think about this. I was talking with a person just before the service, a wonderful friend who eight years ago made a decision like this that we're talking about right now to become a Christ follower. And she's just a wonderful servant of the Lord and God transformed her life and I I hope it's the same for maybe some of you tonight. What do you need to do to accept this free gift? No strings attached? Well, you need to say I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own. My good works mean nothing. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and I put my trust solely in Jesus Christ. And when you communicate that to God, He receives you into His family. And you start this love relationship that is so meaningful and that will last forever. So just take a moment. We'll take a moment of silence here and just speak to God if He's been speaking to you. and Tell Him that you're a sinner. Tell Him that uh, you're giving up. You're humbling yourself. You're saying, nothing I can do to have a relationship with you. Tell him that you repent of your sins. Tell him that you want to be his child. And thank him, because if you've made that decision, he's going to honor that decision. And you're now a part of the family of God. Let's pray together. Definitely, Father, I want to thank You for anyone here who's made that decision tonight. I also pray for those people who are still struggling out there. They said they've accepted Christ and now well, they did in their own way, I guess. But if they're still holding on to their good works, you're not receiving them into your family. I pray they'd let down their pride. And we all know that good works is those are things we want to do after we come to You, but they don't qualify us for salvation. The only... Qualifier for salvation is humility, realizing you got nothing to bring to the table. I pray for those who are still struggling that they would humble themselves before you and accept you. In Christ's name.
2: And the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel, strain and roar, two thousand years of wrong. i the weary road and hear the air